Yeah, that'd be awesome. Uh, you have any specials going on right now? Great. Do we have a, is there a pitcher deal or anything happening? No. You guys, oh, you guys want to pitch your PBR or something? As they're my sponsor. Yeah. <laughs> you guys got to find some balls. Yeah. Well, Danny, you're up. I'm up first. You got to get a ball. I'm uh, very out of practice. I Yeah, I don't think anybody, I, I'm not out of practice. I'm just a bad bowler. I guess I'll start this thing. Hey everybody, welcome down to another edition of Dive Bar Mitzvah. Hey, it's me, your pal Ian, and we're not just here on any day. We're here on a historic day. Why is it historic? Well, there's a number of very good reasons why this is historic. First off, it's our first time bowling on an episode. We're here at Elsie's Lanes in fashionable northeast Minneapolis. Uh, did you bowl? No, not no. I'm just, I'm doing my opening. Yeah, I mean, hey, I'm not going to hold up the game because we're about to be kicked out. Because uh, league bowling starts in 45 minutes, so we have to get this in fast. Uh, but it's a historic day, as I said, not only because of the bowling, but it's our gala 30th episode. Jesus, you did a spare first off? Fuck off. Um, but this is uh, our 30th episode. Uh, thank you for listening all this time. Uh, it's been a damn hoot. It seems like just last week I started, but it practically was. I just started again a week ago. But hey, now we're back, damn it, and it's, it's good to be here. Thank you for being here, everybody. Um, it's been, we've had a lot of good stuff in the last 30 episodes. A lot of things have happened. You picked up the spare. Jesus. Uh, there's a new book coming out, uh, put out by, what is it, the uh, Minnesota Historical Society Press uh, called Heyday. And it is, ooh, the beer. And it is a collected work of uh, photographer Dan Corrigan and uh, written by Danny Siegelman. They are our uh, guests today. Say hello, Dan's. Should we do a cheers? Cheers, yeah, yeah let's get it up. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, this might be historic, too. I don't know if I might be the first guest who's actually had a bar mitzvah. Really? Uh, yeah, you know what? You might you might very well have been. There we go. Got to pat myself on the back. Yeah, I've been exactly. to a couple. He's been to some heavier photographed of bar mitzvah. I have photographed. Yeah, you guys talk about bar mitzvahs while I go and suck right now. Yeah. Now, is there anything substantially different between a bar mitzvah and a bat mitzvah? Uh, just uh, genitalia. No, no, I mean, I know, but that's it, though. I mean, is there any no, no, other, like, it. different I, that, tricks that you know, go along there with might, There might be some older tradition. Whoa! Good wow. lord! Ian uh, just got just a strike. Just got a strike, his round. very first right frame. Right there. I wanted to see, you put my name down as Ian, I wanted it to be lightning. Yeah, but you'll always be Ian. No, but I wanted it to be lightning. You know, because what does lightning do? It, it, uh, it strikes, motherfucker. That's yeah, what it does. It strikes. It strikes. Every, every time. Um, I was going to say it doesn't strike twice, though. That no, might be it your, doesn't. That that's might be your only that's very apropos. Yeah. And I don't see that happening. Um, so, Danny, you have seemed. Did you have the easy job here? Because, I mean, you're basically writing for a book of photography. How did. I mean, how does that play? Well, yeah, I mean, they. they uh, I. Uh, I had this. I, I think everybody's had this idea for Dan's work for a long time. Um, I happened to meet uh, our friend Josh, uh, who's an editor, publisher at Minnesota Historical Society, at an event that Dan was a part of. They were showing his... Picked up the spare. Nice. We, we've got no balls, no pins standing. Yeah, pretty good so far. So, uh, you know, I met this guy Josh at Dan's event at It Records uh, Northeast, and um, he... Uh, he mentioned to me, like, oh, this would be so cool to do a book of this guy. Yeah. I, I really said, you know, I've had this idea for a long time. I don't know anything about doing books. I've been writing for years. But uh, to make it happen that way and, and, and to meet Josh, he really kind of helped seal the deal for all of us yeah. to be involved. And, yeah, it. I mean, besides writing, I also helped uh, pick out a lot of the photos. And, you did the and, curating. And dig through uh, Dan's archive. Well, and now so we'll toss it that, over that to Dan because now you have work. to bowl. This is great. It's like a game show. So, and how long was the curation project? I mean, because I mean, give me. I mean, I'm sure this is an impossible number. Ooh, not the seven ten split. Tough lead. Uh, yeah, you've got the. I don't know. I don't know bowling terms. But so, give me a rough number. How many photos are in the archives, Dan? Many, many tens of thousands. Yeah. Many, many tens of thousands. And then how many are in the book? 
Well, uh, 500 made it into the book. Which is still a whole lot of damn photos. Yeah, yeah, yeah a lot of photos. And I think uh, the book was bigger, uh, uh, became bigger than uh, when uh, we started, just when they finally got a look at uh, how many uh, people were up there. Uh, or how many pictures we actually had to deal with. So I think that, uh, um, yeah, there was a lot of pictures. I, I still feel kind of bad that even for all the pictures that we had in there, um, that we couldn't have them all. I, there were important people that were left out, and I believe that, uh, I hope I get to do another one, because uh, I... Well, yeah, I mean, and then that comes down to what's, what do we expect in the next book? I mean, because really, you have so many. I mean, it seems like it seems like this is all working towards a trilogy. Yeah. It's all good things <laughs> coming through, yeah. What would you like to see the next book be? Well, I'll leave that to okay, you guys. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Um, I think there were some important bands that were first that were missed in the first book that are just were friends of mine and important clients and that I made beautiful pictures of and that it's just a shame that uh, they aren't in it. So I'd like to, and Ian just rolled a gutter ball for our, uh, ball. all of our gutter listeners. Ball. We should have got um, the bumpers for yeah. him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, I'd also think it'd be really interesting to do a complete discography because we kind of touched on that in this book, but uh, we only it was only sort of incidental. And I think uh, it would be interesting to get a lot uh, more of that work. Um, I uh, did a lot of uh, oh, nicely. Um, I did a lot of uh, art direction work on CD covers uh, back in the day, and yeah. it'd be cool to address that as well. Yeah, okay, it's my turn. I got to roll. It's, Dan, it's Dan's turn. Um, yeah, I mean, I think uh, it could have gone in so many different directions. And, yeah. and it was almost like um, panning for gold. Like, okay, let's just grab a bunch of stuff, see what shakes out. And, and the, the cream, I think, rose to the top. Oh, you got it. You there got you it. Go. Okay. Yeah. Not too bad. Not bad, Dan. You had a bit of a curve there. That looked like a pro thing. Um, yeah, it's a. It's a I always turn the wrist, but I don't actually know if it does anything. I just aim, you know, see how it has the little arrows. I, I just aim for the center one. Yeah. I don't try to be fancy with it. I just throw it, and that one time will get me. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think... I think Panning that, for gold. There, 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 there could have been so many different options of, of photos that we could have used. Um, I thought, I think what what we, what we probably... Uh, <laughs> what we kind of... Ended up doing was um, sort of centering it around certain artists that Dan was affiliated with. So, you know, obviously the replacements, Babes in Toyland, also bands that he and I are, are really big fans of, and and kind of go from there. So, like to kind of section it up into some of those key kind of well, somewhat well known, but also just very much associated with Dan's work. I think was the way it kind of shook down and. I think it's a good way to frame it, you know, um, and reintroduce him in a way. Because, I mean, there's how many thousands of photos of Babes in Toyland, probably. Yeah. No, I could probably do a whole book on Babes in Toyland. Yeah. All right, your turn today. Oh, my turn. <coughs> yeah. Sorry. And by the way, I'm sure this will be the only time tonight, but I am presently in the lead with 26 points. Danny Siegelman got 24. Dan Corrigan taking up the back with 21. Yeah, that's not surprising at all. What surprises did you find in there? Oh, I mean, there's... I mean, I'm sure that some of this has no, to be bittersweet. The, yeah, I, I don't think there are any real surprises. I think one of the things that was cool, though, is that it's fun finding the hard copy. I'm starting to really yeah. believe that a photograph isn't a photograph until it becomes an actual object. Of course. Uh, in this day in the Internet, you know, you can make a picture... And it can uh, actually have a lot of legs and get, you know, a lot of attention and never become an actual thing. Yeah. And so uh, I love the fact uh, that in searching Danny for this Siegelman stuff. Danny leaves two standing. And uh, looking through these uh, pictures, finding like some of the old Polaroids, it's like nothing was yeah. a surprise because I remember them all, but actually holding them in my hands was actually pretty darn cool, you know? So it's, I guess, that was something that was just sort of reinforced was the physicality of the medium because the digital age has uh, kind of removed that physicality or at least the, necessar the necessity mm -hmm. for that physicality. Yeah. And... Uh, it's still pretty cool to actually hold it in your hand, you know. So I think that's and probably so Jay, the biggest thing. And how much thing. of this was pulled off old prints? Were you actually back in the dark room printing no, stuff out uh, for this? Nope, I, I didn't print anything up for it, uh, but we did go through uh, all of my work. I don't 
think we had to do uh, several years ago the uh, Minnesota uh Photo Center, I think was the name of it. Um, uh, they actually got me a couple interns and helped to uh, scan through most of my archives. So I had, I had a huge amount of them already scanned, uh, and I think a lot of that work was done. And then that was from the negative days. And then uh, I gave... Uh, uh, I gave Josh and Danny access to all of the pictures, all the digital age pictures that I'd shot at First Avenue. Yeah. And so that was a huge, because, huge body of work right there. And I've read well. some interviews where you're kind of talking about yourself as a former photographer, but that's not entirely true. I mean, you're you're still very much in the loop at, at First Avenue. Well, at First shooting. Avenue, I'm still under contract to shoot six shows a month. And on that note, I'm going to hold. You give the answer okay. to the question yeah, I can't Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's right. Um, uh, I'm still, I've, I've been under contract with First Avenue for about 22 years now to shoot six shows a month. Uh, so I still uh, get to shoot live shows and I uh, love doing that. Uh, Ian just rolled another strike. Um, so um, anyway, it, I think that not me not being a photographer is more just about um, me not making a living being a photographer anymore. Uh, you know, I work at First Avenue and I take care of the place and that's my job. But I mean, you still—I mean, you're still shooting. I'm sure what you, what you just covered while I was going. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, so I mean, do you still get a kick out of it? I mean, oh no, 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 no! It's even—it's even better now. It's even better now because I only shoot stuff that I want to now. I don't have to shoot anything just because I need to make money doing it. Yeah. So. Okay, my turn. All right. Danny, I want to talk to you about. Uh, this is just like a rapid fire episode. Yeah, I know. I just, yeah, we have to just nail this through. Uh, talk to me. You uh, are not only probably the only guest I ever had who's who had a bar mitzvah, but you were also at uh, what? Well, you were at, uh, a Chinese disc jockey, sort yeah. of, uh, or for yeah. Chinese radio. Yeah, you were a disc jockey for Chinese radio. Yeah, for uh, in two thousand nine, I uh, I got a job working at a Chinese radio station in uh, Beijing. That's insane. How the hell do you get that job? Um. I'm choking here. Uh, uh, it's, I'm sure it's an emotional I'm, story I'm all for you. I'm yeah. up about it. Uh, long story short, there's a woman named Mindy Ratner that works at uh, Minnesota Public Radio. And uh, she had worked in China previously, uh, like decades ago. And um, she kind of recommended me. I, I knew her through the time I was working at NPR myself. And... Um, and I got a call one day, and she it was like New Year's Day, 2009. Uh-huh. And she was like, Danny, remember me? I used to talk about China all the time. And um, how you doing? Uh, they want they wanted, they wanted a DJ that knows the new stuff. She, she had DJed classical music yeah. in China. And so uh, we, are you interested? And, and I was like, well, I'll see. I'll, I'll look into it. And so I... Um, I sent them my stuff, and then three months later, I was over there uh, playing music. And so. how much of a culture shock is that? I mean, I could get into it. It's, it was more of a culture shock coming home, but um, no, it was great. I mean, I, I think I realized a, a lot of things that I assumed to be otherwise. Um, it wasn't as strict as I thought it would be. Yeah, because yeah, I mean, yeah. there's a whole. I mean, and I'm sure most of it's based out of uh, <coughs> a, a ignorance and probably a latent racism. But I mean, yeah, you assume there's going to be something bad happening. Well, oh, you're, okay. people think of China as how it was maybe like in the '60s, you know? Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, well, that was when so, most of the PR came out about. Well, it. Yeah. That's, that's probably how what people think of the U.S. Yeah, well, of course, was yeah. from the '60s because. Uh, um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I thought people would be looking over my shoulder all the time and that kind of thing, but it, it was pretty lax. I mean, I, I've had friends make jokes about it because I've worked in radio in the U.S., and it's like I kind of had more freedom there in, in a lot of ways, which is the beautiful irony of it. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I had a great time. But I also was kind of surprised how little they really cared about American stuff, you know, like... <laughs> I think we kind of think of so ourselves. So you had to play new, so you were versed in new, new Chinese stuff. A little bit, yeah. We play some Chinese music, but I, my my purpose was to kind of ex, to 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 show it. You know, in the '80s, they started this radio station, bringing in foreigners as part of their opening up to the West, mm-hmm. and this is a carryover from that decades later. And, and um, 
So my my role was to you know bring my flavor of Western music and the things I knew about and play it on the radio. But I I realized pretty quickly they didn't really like people around me didn't necessarily care. I mean they don't live under a rock like no, we think they do. Like they're they're pretty exposed to a lot of things and. Um, you know, I, I, I know I definitely turned people on to a lot of music they'd never heard before. Whether like, what, did, what did you break in China? I mean, I played the replacements like every day. <laughs> I played uh, Prince every day. I played Kiss every day. I mean, I don't know that I necessarily broke anything. I might have played um, some some smaller Minneapolis bands, too. Um, it... it uh, you know, There's a handful of Rex I, Daisy fans somewhere in mainland China. <laughs> yeah, all of a sudden, they're really into uh, the pseudo nymphs. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I haven't heard that name. <laughs> oh right, Dad, I, think, I think we had you're some up, pseudo nymphs pictures that didn't make the cut. Oh, cool. That's too bad. And he brought it up, Dan. So I'm going to play okay. with it a little bit. Sure. And I've asked you this in the past, as we are pals. Uh, but I mean, how is it? Because you, I think my. Ooh, that looks good. Oh. One standing, got a spare right there in the first one. But, I mean, you've been kind of linked to the replacements. Now, it's nothing you asked to do, and it's nothing you, but you here you are in that spot. Is it something you find yourself kind of trapped in, or is no, it all no, right? No, no, no. I mean, it's, I love that part of my life, and I was super lucky to be there, you know, without a doubt. Um, it certainly didn't hurt. Now, one of the interesting things about the replacements, uh, because I did the cover. Ooh, close, did not pick up. The I spare. did the cover of "Let It Be," and you know that's probably my most famous image. But it, and, it's an, it is an it, iconic. It's, it's an iconic well, okay. shot. But now I wonder if that band, if I had made the exact same pictures, but of the pseudonyms, mm -hmm. the exact same picture, but instead of the replacements, it's the pseudonyms in there. Would that picture be as famous? Well, uh, would the pseudonyms then yeah, be or, as or, famous yeah, as yeah, the replacements? Yeah, 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 was yeah, that exactly. the shot that, was that's what made them? I know, I, I it's know, like the I Michelle know. Obama no argument, no, yeah. yeah. All right, you're up. Uh, right now, um, not fair to give it, ooh, you, are you beat? No, it's, I'm up. Hey, Dan, it's me. It's Ian. I'm up. Hell, I'm sorry. Um, and what, what was it? So explain to me, uh, or Dan, now that I'm bowling. <laughs> Listen, we're just taking over this podcast. Yeah, exactly. You guys talk about whatever the hell you want. Um, so what, what, maybe I was, I was going to oh, ask we're, you. We're, yeah. oh, no, go ahead. Good. Uh, so I'm just thinking that uh, I wonder if uh, Let It Be would have been as important an album if it didn't have that artwork. If it had had a uh, white... Or if it would have had the elevator picture, um, or the elevator picture, that's yeah. actually more probably more interesting way to look at it. I have no idea. You know, I have no idea uh, because the two fit together. You know. Yeah, they've been glued together yeah. in people's minds. So yeah. I mean, for me, that was uh, as a as a big replacements fan, that was kind of the real treat for me was to open up that box of those prints, and see those pictures, and yeah. see the outtakes from the uh, Let It Be because I realized that. You know, you took different angles, and and you were you were Dan. Dan was on the street taking some of those pictures while they were on the rooftop, before they eventually, you know. And took as the photos somebody kind of looking at the outtakes, how often did you find outtakes that were better than the picked shots? Um, I don't know. I mean, I think. Uh, I mean, because I mean, really, I mean, you figure with such an iconic shot, there there's a lot of good stuff that went into it, and those things yeah. could be ingredients put in a slightly different mixture that'd still be pretty good. I think, I mean, there might have been some Husker Du shots I thought, wow, that, that, that would have been cooler than the one of them sitting in the garden or whatever. Yeah. But, I mean, well, I figure that was Grant's it, pick. It, it's, it, I never think of, uh, I never compare, I'm never putting rating stuff on a scale that needs to be compared to one another. Yeah. You know, like, it, it's all it's all solid stuff. Um, uh, you know, I think um, the, the, the fact that there is so much... Uh, Leaving one standing, oh, though. No, Not yeah. bad. And now here we are at the end of the, what, fifth frame? Oh, in the fourth frame. Uh, Danny's got 41. Me, I've got 54. Dan, 36. Pulling up the back end, though. <coughs> we can actually, we can, I think we have a couple minutes where we can just kind of chat, which probably yeah. would be the worst idea. I mean, I, uh, I, and what does one have to look forward to? Okay, keep finishing. I mean, I, I wanted, my thought was, I, I, think, I think there was so much stuff that I never knew Dan took photos of. Um, he did a lot of assignment work for the various newspapers of like some of the bigger artists that came through town. Because I saw know. some Michael Jackson, which I did not expect yeah, to see. Yeah, I never knew there was a Corrigan Michael Jackson photo. Um, 
I think it ran. I think it ran once. Yeah. Like one pitcher ran from that, and that was pretty much the extent I mean, of it. For me, that's been the most fun thing to share with people. Is kind of like, you know, we'll give pseudo nymphs another mention. You know, they <laughs> they could get excited about a pseudo nymph picture, but somebody that's really well known it makes a bigger connection for people who are more casual music yeah. fans. Yeah, and how much is that? And that's actually an interesting point. How much do you think that is that hamstrung you? Where you could have all of the execution in the world, but if it was a band that Danny's Danny in got the a gutter. Gutter, gutter ball, but that's his first. I've had no, two gutter balls no, up until I now. I haven't had one yet. Okay. I, I blame the pseudo nymphs. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, and, and, and when you're uh, an active working photographer in the 80s, 90s, uh -huh. 2000s, did you ever hold back? Because, yeah, I mean, you want, do you, did you want all the, all the pistons to fire? For a big act that you didn't necessarily no, give to a smaller I, no, act? No, no, no. I shot everybody the same. Mm -hmm. Totally everybody. Uh, no, that was important to me to shoot everybody the same. Well, that's got to knock Danny down on that. Danny, uh, Don't even talk Danny, about that one. <laughs> Danny came out one point ahead on that one. <laughs> um, and real quick, yeah. let me say after this, what uh, can one expect on, what is it, the 26th? The 28th. 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 Um, uh, the, 20, the 28th of uh, October is we're having the book release party in the uh, 7th Street entry, and they're giving us part of the uh, Depot Tavern to sort of occupy. And um, we're going to have a night of music with the mofos headlining. Uh, Martin Dosh is in the center slot. And then a band by the name of Porcupine, which is kind of interesting, a uh, power trio. Uh, power Trio with uh, Casey Vyrock from uh, Space Bike on uh, guitar and uh, Greg Norton, formerly of Husker Du on bass, and the drummer's name is Ian. Ian, uh, who I met in the Dames, which is another beautiful uh, Power 3 piece, is playing drums. But uh, they're going to uh, be opening the night for us. And then the uh, Danny uh, and Lori Barbero are going to be spinning the wax for us uh, yeah. as well. I mean, it. I mean, how cool is it, like, when I was a teenager, I was a huge Husker Du fan, and I hear Greg Norton is calling me up, ask, yeah. asking me to play my book release show. I mean, I was just, like, flipping out. Well, I mean, um, it's weird. If you're a fan of Minneapolis music, you come to Minneapolis, and, you know, you kind of flirt on the outskirts for a while, or at least I did. And I remember the exact moment uh, Dan Corrigan took his first picture of me. It was in the office of First Avenue, and I, a little bit of my head went, hey, isn't that cool? Dan Corrigan just took my picture. You know, I mean, it's... What was the picture we made uh, outside of Donnie... Oh, Donnie Dirks. That was oh, great. Was that, for, you, that was, uh, was that for City Pages? Yeah, that was my favorite picture. That was really good. Yeah, yeah. And, and Dan know, has I... actually been very good about spreading that one around. Right? I don't know if I saw that. It's, that a, it's a real nice shot. We might have to stop the press and make sure that one. Yeah, gets I know. In well, there. you know, for the second one, you know, I mean, I'm open yeah. to having it be on the cover. I'm not. I'm... <laughs> oh, look at nice. that! Picked up the spare three pins down. Wow, has he surpassed my score now? I'm gonna have to. I'm doing there. a lot better than I thought I would. I'm I am not a ringer. As bad as I thought I would. Uh, here we are at the end of the uh, fifth frame. Danny Siegelman with 42. Yours truly with 62. Dan Corbin with 46, but with a spare standing. All I know about bowling, I learned from watching Let's Bowl. Uh, I don't know what that means. That means if I get a, if, you, if I roll I, good next time, I'm next, in the bonus. Your next roll will count double, I believe. I don't know that as a fact, but maybe. All right, and here's a good one. First Avenue's largely remained unchanged over the last 40 years, but they have done little changes here and there. And it seems like with every change they make, uh, they end up obliterating the one my one favorite spot to hide and watch music. It used to be behind the main bar downstairs, and uh, then they got rid of that. And I like kind of hiding out by the Gutter Cafe. They got rid of that. Um, gentlemen, I open it up to you. Where is your favorite place to stand in the First Avenue main room? Uh, Dad, you're at the mic, so you go first. Uh, mine is, uh, well, it's mostly for shooting, uh, because that's mostly why I go there now. But uh, And I'm kind of spoiled, but it's uh, exactly stage center uh, in the uh, owner's booth slash uh, lighting uh, DJ booth. So it's above the crowd. I'm not in anybody's way, and uh, that's my favorite spot. I would say for me, I go to a lot of shows, and I, I, for some reason, there's always an open spot right next to the soundboard. Like if you're facing the stage to the left of the soundboard, is like a little weird pocket there, and nobody's ever standing there. So it's kind of like... I mean, it's actually great sound right behind the soundboard as well. Perfect, yeah, perfect, perfect spot to be for sound. You uh, just picked up the spare. We're all clapping and impressed. What I really appreciated about Dan explaining his technique to me, um, 
not bowling, but the <laughs> photography. <laughs> he won't give me his bowling secrets. Uh, is is his efforts to stay out of the way? I think that's really missing from, yeah. from photographers now. Um, say, being mindful of the people that paid to be at the show, but also be um, obscure enough that the, the performers aren't necessarily uh, interrupted by you. So he's not interrupting the show for either the audience or the performer. Dan- and that is important. I mean, in this in the in these days of everybody having their fucking phone out at every concert, like that's not even a concept anymore. No, I mean it. It can be. It's 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 pretty much what you can expect. Um, yeah. But uh, but even some photographers, I don't. I think that. Damn. Dan Corrigan, right there. I think it helped that Dan had a connection to the club for so long that he's kind of developed that. Um, oh yeah. Yes. Sensibility. Yeah, completely. And I think I also I, I came to the business from the production end. Uh, when I was in high school, I was in a band, and I was the fourth member of a three-piece. So I did the <laughs> I did the lights and sound, and I, you know, got all the gear together. And oh, Danny, Danny kind of took a stumble there at the line. Ooh, kind of a little bit of a miss there. Um, so anyway, I came at it from that direction anyway, and uh, you know the. Uh, the production people all wear black, and there's yeah. a reason they do that. And it isn't just to look cool; it's but it's called stage black. Exactly, it's, it's like it's theater. So, yeah. It's like theater, and it's so you don't stand out, so you're not in the way. Yep. And um, Ooh, I've always been on that. That was a very brave move. That was a brave move. Um, so uh, that's always been really important to me that you know. You don't want the production guys in the way, you know. Yeah. That's, uh, and the, and the good production guys. That's right, we're getting kicked out. I forgot. I was going to hope to get another beer. Oh, it's my turn? Oh, I'm out. This is an unbelievably well-priced You're going to edit this, right? Oh, yeah, of course okay. we're going to edit it. Okay, but it's going to still seem as fucked sure, up as I it know. has yeah, been because no, you I know. can't edit I know, that I know. out. No, I know. Um, no, but I mean, the price point on this is amazing. This is a real bargain of a book. How did that happen? Was that part of the marketing? <laughs> I don't know. I mean... That's a bargain of a book? That's what, that's what Ian says, yeah. I mean, I think it is, too. It's $35 for the book. Yeah. You know, plus tax and shipping oh, where like you can get it. But it actually, uh, that's pretty nice. Ian just picked up a spare. No, I, that was a strike. Strike? Oh, my God, I missed it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's reasonable. Um, for a, for a, a, a relatively short period of time, it was going to be a smaller book, and it was going to be like a 20 or $25 book. Um but as soon as we saw how much stuff was needed to be in it, and I mean, we barely had even scratched the surface, and we could have filled a book. Um, I convinced a little to the left on that shot. I, 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 I tried to, you know, I convinced Josh, and Josh was pretty easily convinced, and and, and uh, convinced the historical society to uh, to make it a bigger book. So, mm-hmm. um, no, there's so much in there. I mean, it's jam packed. I. I wanted people to have the, when they look at the book, I wanted them to have the overwhelming feeling that I felt going through the archives, just just being like blasted with all this great stuff. So, um, well, then he picks up the spare. We, we, I, I suggested they make it as dense as possible with photos. Um, I wanted to ask you, Dan, uh, Thank you, Danny. a question that people have been asking me. What's uh-huh. your, if, it's hard to say, but what would you say is your favorite photo in the book? Oh, in the book. You know, I'd have to look at the book again uh, to be sure about that. Uh, I love. Well, what no. Are some of okay. Your I love that the uh, three pictures, the Polaroids of Perner with the lighter. I'm really, I'm really glad that those ended up in the book. Yeah, and those were those are photos I know Dan mentioned to me at some point. I mean, the way it worked, we would kind of dig through these boxes of photos and. Some of the photos would spark stories, and some of them were just like, oh, yeah. Look at that. Two standing. Um, and the, 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 when the Polaroids came out of the box of, of Perner, and where were you, in Netherlands? Because uh, yeah, uh, the Polaroids would have just been test shots, right? For, no, no. Uh, these were actually... Uh, just, like, just like uh, okay, like land camera land shots. Camera. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, he, uh, he made mention, like, when I pulled those out of the box. Oh, Dan is very so close great. to overtaking my lead, by the way. I know. No, he is. He's, he's right up on me. Up. If he gets these two down, he might beat me. Oh shit, he's gonna picks up, the spare. picks up the spare. 
Oh, gets, but that means I think you have another roll though, yeah, because you got, you got, you got a spare at the oh, end. This is our tenth frame. If you get a strike. I think, yeah, I think you're gonna. You will have right now with uh, this. With, you have you have a chance to win with the spare standing at the end of the top frame. Danny has 71. I've got 126. Dan with the spare standing has 116. And uh, trust me, here what I'm gonna I'm gonna point third, a camera. What do they call the third ball in a tenth round? You know what? I, 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 it gets oh, known boy. as the Danny. Oh, damn. Okay, it leaves one standing. Leaves one standing. What? Yeah, you won. Yeah, yeah, wait a second. So there you go. With uh, two points, Dan Corrigan from up up behind. That's unbelievable. <laughs> Dan, come on, high five. High five. Good, good job. Good job, sir. Hey, All right, everybody. Great, great, great game, Dan. That was yeah, great. now Thank we're back. Thank you very much, and that was, was pretty exciting. Impressed. I actually won that in the last, my last... Stone. Yeah. My last stone won that round. There's a metaphor here. We're rallying close to the end. This is great. Uh, and now we're over in Elsie's bar. We're actually doing this in a bar side, which probably makes sense. Although we were drinking for the first one, so it does. It still counts. Here's a question: How much do you think Prince's death ended up affecting the book? You see how it set up, kind of sets up and knocks down the book. Beyond the book, Prince's death changed the population. The Population center in Minneapolis shifted it two blocks. Yeah, I think you know um, uh, the the cultural center of Minneapolis is now seventh and first. Yeah, but with the the you being a long-standing member of the crew there, though, I mean, it really showed that you guys were bulletproof. <laughs> you know, totally there's nothing that, there's nothing they can throw at you guys that yeah. you guys couldn't no, couldn't come up with. It was curious because I was up on a ladder stripping some old wiring out, and I got a text from a friend saying, "I just heard Prince died," and I thought, "What the hell?" And I got off the ladder and I walked over to the window that is right above where his star is yeah. just to look, and I saw a sobbing woman coming across the street, and she had a bouquet, four flowers. I think it was like two white ones and two like lavendery mm -hmm. ones. And she put the first flowers down underneath there, underneath his star. And, you know, six days later, that pile was 30 feet long and three feet tall and four feet deep. I mean, it was a yeah. huge, huge pile of flowers and pictures and guitars and little red corvettes and raspberry braids and uh, pictures and and what was it like to be on be crazy. in the club for that they it, was assume crazy. it was all hands yeah. on deck yeah. there forever it was crazy i mean it was crazy and then we started the dance nights where we had uh basically seven nights 24 hour dancing nights in a row mm -hmm. um um, yeah, it was a huge, huge deal. I don't think there's any way you can get around that. I've said a couple times that I thought it was the biggest thing to happen to First Avenue since Purple Rain. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, and I mean, I, I guess uh, from my point of view, to write about it, um, to, to, to introduce the book in the now, I mean, a big part of the book, we wanted to kind of... Uh, drive the idea that the heydays still happening like okay. people think of the heyday as the 80s and the soul asylum and the replacements and Husker do but it's still Dan's feeling is that it's always happening it's always going on I mean and right now stronger than ever and and and, uh, and so something to, to put it in the present like that happening um, really just opened my eyes up and I, I I spent a lot of time at First Avenue that weekend um, kind of just absorbing it, absorbing the feelings uh, that I was feeling, that people were having, they're expressing. And um, in the intro, I, I start the book off on that date, you know, on, on the, uh, the, the, the night of one of the da dance parties and the night Bob Mould played When You Were Mine. And um, it was a really, I mean, I, I put a lot of uh, really raw emotion in, into what I was trying to describe uh, of the feeling that night, uh, going downtown and seeing everything lit up purple, and um, and, and and knowing that we had all these photos of Prince that nobody's probably ever even seen before, um, was kind of it just really put the book in a time and place that I think is really cool. It really um, it has a lot of feeling right off out of the bat. Um, so and and then to to go back in time. Uh, with Dan's career and when he started and then to end up back with that photo with Bob and his band playing uh, in the Suicide Commandos playing When You Were Mine made the whole book really full circle. Wow. Um, so yeah, I mean, the, the, that, that was meant everything to me to, uh, to be able to give my feeling of that, that weekend 
uh, as the introduction. I actually got to, on MTV, uh, during an interview, I actually got to call that pile the sacred compost heap. <laughs> because it was, you know? It was totally, it was hot. When we when we took it apart, because we had to take it apart. Of it course, be yeah, there you anymore. can't just leave it, it there just forever. leave it there forever. So, and we reverentially took it apart, piece by piece. But when we got down to the bottom, it was hot. It was smoking. Yeah. Like some of the tulips and stuff that had been down in the bottom were liquefied. You right. know, there was nothing there. So, uh... Back to the earth from which it came. Uh, yeah, exactly. And who painted the star gold? Does anybody know? Nobody. Everybody thought it was me. We do not know who it was. It was. We went back and looked at the security footage, and there were four four guys in hoodies, two of them doing lookout and two of them doing the coloring. And so we have no idea who it was. We kind of want to have them come back of course. to touch it up because yeah. it's it was just Sharpie. And it doesn't look all that great. Oh, is right it Sharpie? Oh, no, I assume just, it was yeah, okay. Yeah, wow. No, no, so that's a lot of Sharpie. That was a very well done job yeah, for this gold very, Sharpie. Very, 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 very well done job. Uh, yeah, that was beautifully done. I, uh, I, I wish we knew who it was. Yeah. So if you're listening, if you're mystery listening, Sharpie yeah, people. Come back and touch it up, yeah, please. You're not going to have them arrested. Or... No, 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 no. <laughs> it's not, not a trap. No, it's not a trap. Come back. I wonder how many jobs have been given nice at First again. Avenue with people walking in going, I'm either going to be offered a job or I'm going to get arrested. <laughs> Maybe a couple. This is great. I counted the fucking stars today. How oh, many really? stars are on First Avenue? Okay, this is actually, uh, um, Danny, do you know the answer? Well, well let me, let's qualify it. I, how, not all the stars many, are full. No, they are not, and I know the numbers of both. How okay. many stars are on First <laughs> Avenue? I'm going to say 264. Uh, 300. 500 stars on First Avenue. 400 of them occupied. Oh, so there's 100 open. 100 open. Wow, okay. Yep. So you actually... I, 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 count, I went out and counted them today. Click, clicker in hand. So you, because somebody asked me in the tours, you know, I'm doing the tours oh, yeah, yeah, now. That's right. Okay, yeah, this is good. Let's talk no, no, about no. this. You're doing I'm the tours. I'm doing the, the tours half. now, and uh, I challenge them. Come up with a question I can't answer. I challenge them. Mm-hmm. And so I've gotten a couple. One was how many stars. I will not, I will be able to answer that now, question. Now, did you say I don't know, or did you just pull a number out I, of your ass? No, no, I said I don't know. I said that's a very good question. I don't fucking know, and I will find out. Yeah. Okay, the next one was, and I might have to. Somebody said call Chris Schneider to find it out. Um, who is the first band to play when it was First Avenue? Yeah, I don't know the answer to that. I, don't know, I, I, I bet Schneider does, though. Because, I mean, and I was at, I went to go see a uh, Twins game with him and Steve and Aaron uh, Caswell. And we oh, all kind of yeah, like, yeah. you know, just to kind of like shout out, you know, questions that we either knew answers to or right. to kind of prompt Steve uh, on stuff or back up stuff. Uh-huh. But yeah, I mean, at this point, uh, Chris Schneider pretty much knows everything about well, this stuff. Well, yes. Or from that, from the historical from, side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, I think that would be a good question for him. So tell me about these tours you're giving. Uh, um, uh, uh, because right now pa- you parlayed Pais- this in yeah, to no, now you're no, giving no, no, tours no. To, to Paisley Park started doing tours and I have a feeling that they wanted to have our tour you know, our tour of our facility be part of their tour oh. and in the arrangements for that I think it just came up that well we should just do our own fucking tour. of course yeah why would we and yeah yeah why would so we do that so we've done tours for a couple years now I've been doing tours but it's been mostly special interest groups like um, uh, school groups mm-hmm. that uh, um, you know have music industry sort of classes and stuff and showing you know that sort of thing and that's what been most of the tours but they decided that uh, because of, uh, I think, you know, just um, the change in uh, Prince dying and just uh, the interest in the club that they decided to offer to public yeah. group. And so uh, I am about halfway through uh, 14 groups. I do uh, 30 wow. people a group. Um, and it's cool. It's fun. It's my That's- favorite part of my job. That's great. Yeah. And how did you kind of how did you end up as the as the one who would be I giving volu- the tour? I volunteered to do it. Okay. Just because I've been around for a long time, I love telling stories. Uh, uh, I don't mind that sort of position. And there was nobody else there that even remotely wanted to do it. <laughs> that also so, might have yeah, something to do with yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> the um, only person I, I started doing it, uh, like I say, a couple years ago, just. Um, 
Uh, and it was uh, kind of infrequently. I bet I uh, probably before we uh, started doing this, the public tours, I bet I'd probably done under two dozen tours over the last couple of years. So it wasn't a real common thing. But um, yeah, it's great. I love telling stories about First Avenue. And how? And, and if anybody's listening, would be interested in taking their group to see I mean, a tour you, you can done by to, Dan you, Corgan. You can go to First Avenue to our website, and uh, there probably is, you know, like even a tours link on there really? somewhere. Okay. And um, uh, I think we're booked out for this particular section of tours. But we've had such great response that I'll be really surprised if they don't offer another set. Of course, and why uh, wouldn't they? And Dan will famously. He knows everything, and if he does not know, he will fucking find out. I will find out. I will find out. No, I'm dog. I'm a dog that way. And what's your favorite uh, spots to point out during these well, tours? I don't know. Because there's a lot of nooks and crannies. Well, there's all sorts and of nooks and everybody's everybody's really everybody's been, done things in I've the nooks enjoyed, and crannies at First Avenue. Um, uh, behind the stage, there's some board tape and uh, the mixing boards, you know, with all the knobs on and whatnot. Yep. Uh, they lay a strip of tape along the bottom, and then they write down uh, what each channel was. Of course. And um, behind the stage, there's a strip of tape uh, from a Prince show. Uh, and somebody who actually looked at it and saw who was on it said, oh, it must be from the Sign of the Time. Sign of the Time store? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so that's pretty cool. I love showing that. Um, I actually ran across... Uh, down in the uh, green room of the uh, entry, uh, Bob Stinson's autograph on, or you know, his signature on a wall downstairs inside. How's that and possible? So, so I'm showing this uh, uh, tour, this sign, and this woman goes, "Look here," and it says, "Bob." No, I'm sorry, Paul Wester shit. <laughs> And it could be him. Yeah. Just, you know, who knows from then. But uh, so it's uh, those little nooks and crannies. I think growth. I love telling the story about when Queens, uh, uh, when uh, Rammstein set off the explosive in the building. That's still the I thing that, that I remember yeah. the most. They set off like uh, uh, they're known for their pyrotechnics, so it wasn't a big surprise. But they set off an explosive device meant for something like the uh, size of the Target Center, which is you know ten times the size of us. And it was so loud. And you know how police throwing stun grenades into a room to, like, incapacitate all the people inside of it? Well, it was like that going off. And this huge explosion went off, and everybody was just stone silent. And in this silence that followed it, there was this rain of confetti and dust yeah. and spew coming down in slow motion into this silence <laughs> that I will never ever ever forget just all the stuff that had been above all the stuff everything yeah yeah it had just been knocked out of the ceiling by this huge fucking explosion and back in those days we had a lot of our liquor uh, bottles on glass shelves and so a number of those broke i think it broke some windows some part of the ceiling came down i mean it was uh it was a just a striking moment do you have any mention of the ghosts in the tour um, I do, and oh God, this is this is beautiful. Okay, so as far as I can tell, all the ghost stories come from one ghost story, and I'm trying to <laughs> I'm trying to set up this ghost story, and it has to do with the third stall in the whims room. Yep. And I have and that's 30, famously where people have seen and, and, a woman. And, 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 so I have 30 people in sort of the anti room of the uh, of the women's bathroom, and I'm trying to set up the story. So I'm opening up doors in the stalls, and I get to the third stall, which is where the ghost story happens, and it's locked. And it's like during the day, it's like, God, this can't be locked. And it was like, like, this is too weird. Well, one of the people, one of the women from the tour had to take a pee. (laughs) And she just happened to go into the third stall. And so I had all 30 the rest of the people from the tour out in the thing well I'm banging on her door trying to get it pull her like stall door open so um, anyway there you go and I so what did it, so when she came out when she came out like? no, no I mean 
I think she was excited that she was going to be able to add it to her story. Yeah. And the chance that she just happened to pick the third stall yeah, yeah, yeah. to take a pee in was, I don't know, maybe there's some, like, goosebumps there. Yeah. When I worked there, I would, uh, there's one time I happened to be alone in the club at, like, three in the morning and in, intoxicated enough where I would, where I went out and actively mocked and solicited a haunting. I walked around the club. It was just like bagging stuff, hanging down in dark corners in the basement going, I'm here. Scare the shit out of me. I'm drunk. No one's going to believe you me. Know what? Let's see it. I've Nothing happened. I've spent a ton of time alone in the club. Uh, I, am, I'm in, I am in tune with the club, and I don't think that there's anything there. I don't think there's anything My Personally, myself. Now, there have been a couple things. I was downtown uh, one morning. It was probably about 7 o'clock in the morning, and there was a, a citywide power outage downtown. Uh, all the power went off in the club, yeah. and it all of a sudden went silent. And the club never, even when there's nobody in it, is never silent no. because we have numerous coolers and refrigerators, well, and each always, one of them has a condenser going. And there's, there's always like a video game kind of with some lights in a always, corner. Like there's, there's always, always some no, There's always something going on. So to all of a sudden have the place absolutely quiet was chilling actually it was probably more scary than anything that i've actually run <laughs> into lack, the lack of noise but i mean it sounds good though doesn't it that there's a ghost uh, no, I, I don't see how, i mean I, it seems you know, logical I'm, there would I'm, be I, kind of the joke is is that i'm interning to be the next ghost <laughs> ghost of first avenue i think well you're kind Complete, of more in, no. for me you're, you're more it's more uh jack torrance in the shining you know, where you've been there the entire time. The last shot pulls back, and there's Dan Corrigan in 1920. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, Dan, I did something today I haven't done much uh, this year. About, uh, what, in spring, about five months ago, I bought new tires for my bike, and this was going to be the year that I actually bicycled a whole bunch. And I have in the past, but this year I was going to really do it up. And I got my bike out of the garage today to bicycle here, the six blocks or whatever. It was dusty and old. You bicycle. You you're pretty much. You're a diehard bicyclist. Well, I'm a, yeah, I'm a diehard bicyclist. I've been. I uh, haven't had a car in 24 years, and I bike full time. Last winter, though, uh, the very first snow, I actually went down to work, and it snowed while I was down there. And on my way home, I fell twice. Ugh. And I have this theory that the day you were born, you're allotted a certain number of falls in your life, and that number is just set. And I know that I'm like up around uh, my maximum number right now. So as soon as there's ice or snow on the ground, I kind of uh, stop doing it and start taking the bus or walking. Um, but besides that, yes, I bike but, all the time. That's, that's how I get 23 around. winters beforehand. Yes, exactly. So how I, have you I, I not gotten to, killed? No, that's I, a, surprisingly, I've uh, taken some savage falls. Uh, um, so, and I'm getting too old to do any more of those. Um, but still, I'm clearly better off. I'm better off being responsible of getting my own ass between point A and point B, being totally responsible. Now, I just know that physically I'm better for that if I'm not hit by a bus. Of course. Now, and what recommendations do you have to uh, relative greenhorns like myself who might someday, you know, think about going to mostly bike? I mean, it's because you, you know, when you see some 22-year-old kid with a beard, you just go, well, fuck you, you're too stupid to know doing any better. But you, grown-ass man, know what you're doing. What what recommendations do you have? Because that's, I mean, it seems like suicide to me. I remember when I moved here from okay. Indiana, and I saw, like, maybe there was, like, a half an inch of snow on the ground, and I saw somebody biking through it, and I was like, this person's nuts. I mean, it was, and it was probably maybe 25 degrees outside. Well, you know, the sun was shining, everything was fine. I'm like, that doesn't happen. You just don't well, bike in the snow. For one thing, there's no such thing as bad weather. There's just bad equipment. I, I, you know, I disagree. I, I think it's really bad weather. <laughs> no, no, there isn't bad weather. And I have equipment that no matter how cold and windy and snowy it is, if I put on my gear, I'm going to be just fine out there. Um, I'd say, uh, as far as biking uh, uh, advice, that you have to remember that you are on the bottom of the fucking food chain. Yeah. And that everybody, everybody is out there to eat you. And so you kind of have to bike like that. Like every single car is out there to eat you. And you're just a bait fish trying to not be eaten. So that means you know all the good back routes in town, though. I do know all the good back routes, and I'm not afraid of biking on uh, sidewalks or no. across lawns or, and or think, whatever. And, and I think some of the reason why I don't bike as much as I should is because there's been a huge press 
where everybody should be stopping at stop signs. I no, do not no, do that. No, I do no. not. I mean, I'm an idiot, though. I mean, I don't wear a helmet. I those don't get are, too into those it. Those are Montana rules. You know, Montana rules for uh, bikers is that a red is the same as a yellow to a biker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because momentum is so important to a bike riding that if you come up to a red light and there's nobody at either side, to come to a complete stop is wasting your momentum. Of course. Yeah. And you're just putting yourself at risk. That's yeah, what I mean. Because yeah. people now in Northeast, they yell at it. They, they'll yell at you if they see you do it. If you're in, if you see people, you know, driving cars who are suddenly throwing a lot of two to bicyclists, like I'm putting anyone at fucking risk other than my goddamn self. I might manage to put my body might put a couple dents in your hood, but that's about the extent of what issue you would have whenever, with me. Whenever I have somebody in a car like honk at me or gesture at me, I put my hand up to my ear and I mouth the words call me <laughs> and uh that's been my uh, go-to uh, response for all of the because uh, i mean and that's and that's a good punk rock rule just leave them confused and slightly more angry as you speed away that's exactly that's totally true what my entire career has been based out of well dan danny thank you very much for coming down to lc's tonight here here cheers uh yeah yeah again yeah. this is uh dive bar mitzvah this week, our 30th episode was here at Elsie's Bar in Fashionable Northeast Minneapolis. Stop on by. Be careful when the league shows up because leagues do rain here, as they should. We're finishing it off right now with a round of PBRs, we'll say, because they're my sponsor. And let's take, that takes me to our sponsors. Let's talk about them. Ladies and gentlemen, of course, PBR, add extra flair to those leisure time activities. Put original Pabst Blue Ribbon in the picture. People of good taste naturally go for it. It's old-time beer flavor, original Pabst, brewed as it was when it won the Blue Ribbon in 1893. So next time, put yourself in the picture. Enjoy original Pabst Blue Ribbon. And, of course, our friends at Stand Up Records, we like our comedy like we like our booze. Straight Dan up Schlissel, and woo! Yeah, exactly. And Dan uh, has shot many, for, uh, many covers for uh, Stand Up Records. Check them up at standoutrecords.com. They have new albums out all the time. Um, and the stand-up uh, Roku channel is doing gangbusters. It's in one of the, I believe it's one of the top 50 uh, st- uh, channels on Roku right now. So check it out. Download it on your Roku device. And if you don't have a Roku device, they're like 30 bucks. Come on already. And um, yeah, and you can see all the old episodes of Dream with Ian on there. And the ones you can't see on Roku, we've now released to uh, MTN, the Minneapolis Television Network. I just gave them a drive full of 50 old episodes. So you can see them every Saturday, every Saturday at nine. That's right, you were a guest. I was a guest. Oh God, we had a blast. I seen that one. Yeah, no, I and I think that one might be one of the fifty I handed off on the drive. Okay. So I believe it's Saturdays at nine o'clock. You can watch it on, I believe, MTN sixteen if you have Comcast, or if you are one of those people who cut the cord, you can stream it. Um, when it is on air on mtn.org. So go there, check it out. Everybody, thank you for listening thus far, and thank you for listening to the last 30 episodes. Please like our post, share us around, like our uh, our content on iTunes, get us out there. Thank you again for everything, and my name's Ian Rands. I love you very much, and come on down to First Avenue on Halloween, and I'll give you a big, wet, sloppy kiss. There you go. I'll be the one dressed as Dan Corrigan. <laughs>